You are listening to the audio podcast of Gethsemane Baptist Church, located in Long Beach, California, pastored by Eli Reynolds. As you're being seated, Ecclesiastes chapter 4 tonight, Ecclesiastes chapter number 4, and uh, as we normally do, let's find out, does anybody need a fill-in-the-blank sheet tonight? All right, we have a couple here. We need uh, fill-in-the-blank sheets for right over here. If you'll keep those hands raised, appreciate that. And then right down here, Brother B, thank you, Jordan. Anybody else, those two? How about a pen? Do we need a pen tonight, anybody? All right. Ecclesiastes chapter number four. Now I'm going to ask you some important questions that I asked to the teenagers today, okay? And it's going to, it's going to require you to use some, uh, some hands here to show me, all right? It's, have you ever heard the game like, would you rather? Would you rather do this or this? This is just kind of, you know, which one do you like more, okay? Which one do you like more, all right? So I just want to find out tonight. You're going to point whichever way I say, okay? Would you, which one do you like more? Would you prefer coffee or tea, point which one, coffee, point that way, tea, point this way. There's only a few with, the, uh, with tea, wow, all right, okay. Next important question for you tonight, which one, hamburger or taco? Hamburgers or tacos? Ah, it's got to go tacos, come on, folks. All right, now here it is, here it is. Reese's, do I even need to say anything else? All right, Reese's or Snickers, which one? Reese's or Snickers. Wow, there's a lot of Snicker fans in here. Wow, okay, all right. That helps me to see who I should and should not be friends with, all right? Then we have, lastly and most importantly, Frosted Flakes or Cinnamon Toast Crunch. All right. Esther, why are you just raising your hand? Is it this way or this way? All right, you got to choose one. It's cinnamon. The correct answer is cinnamon toast crunch. It's in the Bible. It's in, it's in the book of second opinions. It's there. You just have to find it. But I just wanted to find out where you were tonight with those things. All right, so that's good. I'm amongst good people, I can tell. Ecclesiastes chapter 4 and uh, we're going to look at all 16 verses today. We're going to cover it all. And I had so much fun with the end of this study. And I can't wait to get to the last point because it just, it, it's, it's just so cool to me. But the whole thing, I think, will be a blessing and a help. And we're reviewing here a little bit. Solomon, of course, uh, his thesis statement. He's searching for meaning in life. And he says, you know what? It's all vanity. It's all meaningless. It's all uh, empty. It's all futile. And so he goes and tries some experiments. He said, okay... I'm going to see if I can find the meaning and purpose of life uh, in, in earthly wisdom and knowledge and being the smartest guy around. And that didn't work. He tried pleasure, food, drink, entertainment. He tried treasure. He tried to get everything he could. And, uh, and no thing could bring fulfillment to him. He began to hate life. Remember that at the end of chapter number two? And uh, then came to some humbling. He comes to the conclusion, hey, we just need to enjoy the life that God gave us. In chapter 3, he focused on the time that we have here on earth, and, um, and there were some interesting things he had to say about that. But 
uh, after that, he kind of in these next few chapters, he's going to bounce around from subject to subject. And, and what we're going to find there is that, he, he, and really that's kind of like what he does in the book of Proverbs. If you read Proverbs, he's just bouncing around from subject to subject. But they're usually kind of grouped into topics. And the topics that are addressed here is after all the things that he said, and he said, you know, we should just enjoy the life that God gave us. But then he gets to chapter 4, and he realizes that life is hard. He begins to look at the people around him. I mean, he's the king, but he begins to look at people around him and realize, man, life, life is hard. What makes life difficult? And remember, the, the whole thought is uh, uh, the emptiness of life without God is this whole thought there, and is what we're going to see in this book. But, but, but why is life so difficult? So we're going to look at that tonight. Let's pray together, and we're going to jump right in. Father, bless this message and the time we have together. May it be helpful, informative, and transformative tonight. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. What makes life hard? Let me give you one big reason. Would you write it in? People. People. Some of you thought, he's going to say sin. No, I'm going to say People. Sin makes life hard, yes. Oftentimes, other people are doing the sinning. Uh, people problems are a major factor in our happiness and how it ebbs and flows. I can be happy today and not happy tomorrow, and it can be based upon what you say to me. Remember, joy is something that should always possess. Happiness is fleeting. It's here one minute and gone the next. And sometimes life can just be hard because of people. People at work. How many, I don't want to ask you to raise your hands, but I wonder how many of you this week had to work with somebody that made your life a little bit miserable. People at work can do that sometimes. People at home can do that. People at school can do that. People at college, people at church can do that. People in your neighborhood, people online, on Instagram, whatever. But remember that you're a people too. You are a person as well, and uh, sometimes the biggest problem you have is the person in the mirror. In fact, that's what D.L. Moody, the great preacher of the 1800s, someone asked him, said, uh, Brother, Brother Moody, what is your biggest problem that you face? And he said, the man I see in the mirror every morning. And that's the truth of it. If we're honest, the biggest problem in our own life is not somebody else. The biggest problem is the person we see in the mirror. Because that's the person we're fighting and battling with every day. And so uh, that's what makes life difficult. Most of the problems we have in life are related to people or relationships. Whether the person is you or someone else, people, problems affect us. It has a way of affecting us. I got a text message this week from someone that was a member here for a long time. And uh, about five years ago, I guess, moved away and was going to a, a, a different church and and no hard feelings or anything. They just they were they were going to a different place uh, in Southern California. And I got this text, and I, and I get I get texts periodically from this person, good person. Maybe you know uh, there's uh, nothing bad to say about the person, but uh, they 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 would text me occasionally. Pastor, love you. God bless you. Hey, love you too. God bless you, and all this kind of stuff back and forth for years. I got a text message this week. And it was the same kind of thing. Pastor, love you, and all that kind of stuff. And it said, you know, I don't know what it was. When you were there at Gethsemane, but I never felt welcomed as a brother in Christ and a minister of the gospel for 20 years. And I was sitting, when I got that text message, I'm going to be honest, I was clipping my toenails. All right? Yes, the pastor's toenails grow as well. It had been several years since I'd clipped them. 
and I thought, it's time to get the chainsaw out and go to work. So, no, I'm just kidding, but I was, I was, in, the, I was in my room on the floor, and my phone buzzes at night, and I pick it up, and I look at it, and I'm like, oh, it's from so-and-so, and I read it, and I'm like, what? And I just, it made my heart sink. No pastor wants to hear that. Someone didn't feel welcome at my church. What in the world? Like, and I, so I sat there, and I was like, that's it. I'm telling this dude off. No, I didn't say that. But I was like, ah. And so I text back, and I said, look, I said, I, hope, I wish you well on a certain endeavor he told me about. I said, hey, I hope that goes well. I'm kind of just really shocked to hear what you said and, and a little saddened by that. I wish we could have talked about it way back when you felt that way. And I know as a young pastor, I've made many mistakes, and boy, I'm just so sorry if you ever felt that way. I think the world of you and, and your family, and, and I just went on and said, you know, God bless you in the future, and where you go. And I was just like, oh, man, hate those texts. I've gotten many text messages that have just shaken me. Have you ever gotten a text message like that? They're just like, where'd that come from? So then I'm waiting. I'm waiting for the text back, Right? And like, I'm, and, I, and, and I literally was asking myself, is he going to double down and be like, no, but you did this. Or, or is he going to be like, oh, it's okay, no big deal. I tell you, I did not expect the text that I got back. The text that I got back said this, no, pastor, you're not understanding. I'm saying you never made me feel unwanted at church. And I love you and I appreciate you and blah, blah, blah and all the stuff. You know the roller coaster of emotions I went through? I was like, that dirt bag. It's an amazing man. What insight this man has. I went through this emotional roller. I really wasn't like too mad at him, but I was like, I just feel bad. I feel so bad. And then I was like, that's great of him. You know? And so I text back, oh, praise the Lord. That had me worried for a minute there. But sometimes it's easy. I mean, it could really just take one text message and you're just like, Shh. And life's difficult. Now I've got to dwell on this. And I'm not somebody that just goes, oh, I don't care what they think. I'm going to think about it for the next week. I'm going to think about it for the next week, and I'm going to dwell upon it and, and form my conclusions, and then after a week and a half, I'll be okay. But that whole week is going to be thinking about And I'm just I'm thankful how that one turned out. They don't normally go that way. But, uh, you know, sometimes life can just be made complicated and difficult because people or because of text message punctuation, you know, some things like that. Solomon wanted life to be simple. He wanted to enjoy the life God gave him, but problems came up. Let's look at the problems. Number one, persecution. Problems with persecution. Who was persecuting Solomon? Nobody. He was observing persecution. Let's look at verses one through three. So I returned and considered all the oppressions that are done under the sun, and behold, the tears of such as were oppressed, and they had no comforter. And on the side of their oppressors, there was power, but they had no comforter. Wherefore, I praise the dead, which are already dead, more than the living, which are yet alive. Yea, better is he than both they, which hath not yet been, who hath not seen the evil work that is done under the sun. 
oppression, persecution. Oppression is causing trouble and hardship to another. It's mistreatment. It's to treat a, a disadvantaged member of society unjustly with the effect of causing one to suffer ill treatment. We know what oppression is, okay? We, we, we've seen it all across the world. We've seen it in our country. We've seen it in every country. There's uh, oppression. The Jewish people have felt it for 6,000 years and others as well. The, uh, oppression, persecution. Christians across the world are being oppressed. And I know many other people are as well. But that is what Solomon was beholding and seeing what people have to go through. He said, man, that makes life complicated. That makes life hard. Oppression and persecution. Now, in verse 1, basically he's saying these oppressed people were shedding tears. They had nobody to comfort them. They had no one to give them hope. He even says there that it was the, on the side of the oppressors there was power. So it was the oppressors that had the power, and, and, and the people being oppressed could do nothing about it. And you know what? It's usually people in power that oppress others. It's usually people in power that are oppressing other people because they think no one can do anything about it. You think about what happened during World War II and, 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 and the, the oppression that took place to people because they basically just thought no one can stop us. You're not going to do anything about it. And they don't realize, though, that God is the judge, that God sees and vengeance belongs to him. They do have somebody watching. And Solomon is seeing this and going, man, this is just not fair. Verse 2, though, is interesting. Wherefore, I praised the dead, which are already dead. What's he saying there? He's saying he thinks that those who are dead are more fortunate than those that are alive. It's like, man, those of you who already passed on, you got it made. Wow. His life is difficult. Verse 3, he's talking about better is he than, uh, this is, and, and I have found that reading Ecclesiastes, some of the wording is just very difficult. And so sometimes I'm trying to go through these verses to help you kind of understand what the wording means. So he says, yea, better is he than both they, which hath not yet been, who hath not seen the evil work that is done under the sun. He's saying better than both those who are dead and those who have suffered oppression, better than both of them is the person who's never been born. That's what he's saying there. Better, the, better is he than both they. Both who? Those that have been oppressed and those that um, uh, have died. Better is he than both those which hath not yet, been, not yet been. So the person that was never born, he said, man, the people that were never even born, they have it better than all of them because they don't have to see all the evil works that are done under the sun. You know, Christians are being persecuted across the world. People, people are, Christians are being martyred still in this day and age. We don't see it on the news, but, you know, in Syria and, and, and uh, places like that, people, Christians are being killed for their faith. It happens. A.W. Tozer, a great preacher uh, from the 50s, said, As the world hated Christ, so it hates those who bear his image. It was the unregenerate religious world which most fiercely opposed him. And sufficient for the disciple to be as his master. In other words, we're going to face persecution too. Paul said so in 2 Timothy 3.12. Yea, and all that will live godly in Christ Jesus shall suffer persecution. I'm going to live for God. You will be persecuted. That's a guarantee. You're going to have to have a hard life anyway. Nobody's got it easy. You might as well suffer for the right cause. And, uh, I wanna, and that's actually the next blank there. If you're going to suffer, suffer for the right reasons. Billy Graham said the Bible clearly says that faithfulness and persecution often go hand in hand. 
faithfulness and persecution. I want you to take your Bible and go to 1 Peter chapter 2. We're not going to turn to a lot of places today, but there's a few for this passage, uh, for this point I wanted you to see. 1 Peter chapter 2, after the book of Hebrews and James, toward the end of the Bible there. If you work backwards from Revelation, you'll find it pretty quick. But 1 Peter chapter number 2, I want to look at verses 19 through 21. Just a couple passages here to read. 1 Peter 2, 19. For this is thankworthy if a man for conscience toward God endure grief, suffering wrongfully. For what glory is it if when ye be buffeted, beaten basically, for your faults, ye ye shall take it patiently. But if when you do well and suffer for it, you take it patiently, this is acceptable with God. For even hereunto were ye called because Christ also suffered for us leaving us an example that you should follow his steps. You know, if you, if you do something worthy of the beating, and then you take the beating and you're like, yes, I, you know, I'm still loving God, you, you deserved it. But he's saying if you didn't do the wrong, but you're suffering just because you're a Christian, just because you did the right thing, hey, that's something that God is pleased with because Jesus suffered innocently as well. Look at chapter 4. Chapter 4, verse 12. Just flip the page there. Beloved, think it not strange concerning the fiery trial which is to try you, as though some strange thing happened to you. Why are all these trials coming on me as a Christian? Don't be surprised by it. But rejoice inasmuch as ye are partakers of Christ's sufferings, that when his glory shall be revealed, ye may be glad also with exceeding joy. If ye be reproached for the name of Christ, happy are ye. For the spirit of glory and of God resteth upon you. On their part he's evil spoken of, but on your part he's glorified. But let none of you suffer as a murderer, or as a thief, or as an evildoer, or as a busybody in other men's matters. Yet if any man suffer as a Christian, let him not be ashamed. Let him glorify God on this behalf. So, in other words, it's unjust suffering. Suffering for the cause of Christ um, is something that God highly rewards. Go one more place with me. Go to Luke chapter 6. Go back to Luke chapter 6. It's a drive this point home about persecution. Luke chapter 6. We we don't like persecution. We don't like to do anything that may make people realize we are a Christian because we're so afraid that they may say something unkind. That is the least form of persecution. We don't really face persecution in the United States as much as other places. No one has ever punched me in the face for giving them a gospel tract. No one has ever threatened to burn down my house or kill my family because I gave them a gospel tract. But this happens in other places, and they they follow through. So we have got to be more bold in our witness for God. It's embarrassing the fact that, that we do not suffer any persecution, but we're so sensitive that we can't take it if someone closes a door in our face. Folks, that's not persecution. That was someone being rude. That's not persecution. If you witness to your coworker and they say, uh, no, I don't want that, thank you. Oh, I've been persecuted. No, you haven't. You, felt, you, you met someone who did not want what you had and they kindly refused. We need to have a little bit more backbone when it comes to our witness for Jesus Christ. We're, we're not being persecuted. Look at uh, Luke chapter number 6, verse 31. And as ye would that men should do to you, do ye also them, to them likewise. The golden rule, right? For if ye love them which love you, what thank have ye? For sinners also love those that love them. And if ye do good to them which do good to you, what thank have ye? 
Why should you be thanked for doing good to those who do you? Uh, do good to you, for sinners also do even the same. And if ye lend to them of whom ye hope to receive, what thank have ye? For sinners also lend to sinners to receive as much again. But love your, ye your enemies, and do good, and lend, hoping for nothing again. And your reward shall be great, and ye shall be the children of the highest, for he is kind unto the thankful, unthankful, and to the evil. Be ye therefore merciful, as your Father also is merciful." I think about Matthew chapter 5, verse 11 and 12. As Jesus started the Sermon on the Mount, he said, Blessed are ye when men shall revile you and persecute you, and shall say all manner of evil against you falsely for my sake. Rejoice and be exceeding glad, for great is your reward in heaven. For so persecuted they the prophets were before you. I think about the disciples in the book of Acts. They were witnessing for Jesus, and, and, and they, they, they caught them, and they beat them. And the disciples, after getting beaten up by a group of people, jumped up and started high-fiving one another. Hey, we just got to suffer for the cause of Christ. Isn't that amazing? Now, I'm not telling you tonight to go out and try to go to the scariest places in town you know, and witness just so you can suffer persecution. But I'm saying, can't we have a little bit more backbone in our, in our faith in Jesus Christ? Can't we have a little bit more backbone in our boldness and witness? I think we can. I think we absolutely can. So the question is not whether Christians will be uh, persecuted. The question is not whether persecution will come to Christians. It's how will we respond? Did you write that in? How will we respond? I tried to help that person. I tried to give them a gospel track. Tried to invite them to church. Tried to be a blessing. And they said no. Folks, we have got to be bolder in our witness. Have you noticed how bold the sinners are? Have you noticed how bold the LGBTQIA movement is? Have you noticed how bold a lot of these just open debauchery lifestyles that people are, they're very bold. I'm not, I'm not against those people. I want them to receive Christ, get help, and be saved, and all of that. I'm against the sin. And they're very bold. We've got a bunch of Christians in America doing this. Silent on abortion, silent on uh, 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 sinfulness, and, and, and we need, and I'm not saying go pick fights. Keep the main thing the main thing. What's the main thing? The gospel message is the main thing. Don't go looking to pick fights. Preach the gospel. But let's be more bold with it. The righteous are bold as a lion, the Bible says. About time we had some lions rearing up in our community being bold witnesses for Jesus Christ. You can also say amen with a little boldness too, okay? Persecution, problems with persecution. Secondly, problems with possessions, Problems with possessions. Let's look at verses 4 through 8 of Ecclesiastes. If, if you kept your place there, uh, verses 4 through 8, and I'm going to move quick here. Again, I considered all travail, or work, and every right work, that for this a man is envied of his neighbor. This is also vanity and vexation of spirit. Now, you could say possessions or prosperity here uh, is, is sometimes can make life difficult. You say, how does... How do possessions make life difficult? How do prosperity make life difficult? Where did you read it there? I consider all travail and every work that for this a man is envied of his neighbor. This vanity and vexatious spirit. In other words, you work hard to prosper in life. You work hard at your job at, at accomplishing something, whether it be for God, for your family. And you know what? When you are successful, other people want to tear it down. 
When you do something good, somebody else wants to come along, and even good people, and say, oh, you know, and talk bad about it. Well, you should have saw how they did it. You know, they have no morals. Or, oh, you know, you should see this. That's all they care about. And they're judging you, and, and sometimes people do that. Why do people want to rain on your parade? Here's the word, envy. Envy. That's why. Churches do this. Pastors do this. Oh, did you hear about so-and-so's church, man? They're growing by leaps and bounds. Well, yeah, if I wanted to do things that way, I guess we could too. Yeah, if I wanted to stoop that low, I mean, you know what I'm saying? Like, I don't want to cast mud, but here I go casting mud. Why don't we just mind our own business? You know, so, sometimes we, it, it, it's, it's envy. When someone, when you work hard and you get something and someone's like, oh, what about this or that? The reason people do that is because they're saying, I want it too, but I don't want to do the work to get it. Look at the next verse. The fool foldeth his hands together and eateth his own flesh. What? They sit, in other words, they sit back refusing to work and they destroy themselves. 1 John 3, 12 said, Not as Cain, who was of that wicked one, and slew his brother, and wherefore slew he him, because his own works were evil and his brother's righteous. Cain was mad that Abel's sacrifice was accepted and his wasn't. You know, the Bible says that Jesus was delivered up for envy. They envied him, and so they delivered him up to be crucified. People say, mo money, mo problems. Why? Because some, everybody wants a piece of it. But then they want to sit back, fold their hands, and let their body be destroyed because they're unwilling to do the work. Warren Wearsby said, laziness is a slow, comfortable path to self-destruction. Look at verse 6. He gives a proverb here. Better is an handful with quietness than both the hands full with travail and vexation of spirit. So it's better to have less, but to have peace than to have your hands full of stuff, but have travail and grief and worry and sorrow. Look at verse 7, Then I returned and saw a vanity under the sun. Verse 8, there is one alone and there is not a second Yea, he hath neither child nor brother, yet is there no end of all his labor, neither is his eyes satisfied with riches, neither saith he, for whom do I labor and bereave my soul of good? This is also vanity, yea, it is a sore travail. So there is one only and there is not a second. He's saying there's a man that doesn't have a dependent. There's a man who's working and laboring, but he doesn't have anybody else to help him or anybody to give the money to or anything. Yea, he hath neither child nor brother, yet is there no end of all his labor. He, he can't retire. He can't pass it on to his son. Neither is his eyes satisfied with riches. No, and he's also greedy. He doesn't want to give it up. He wants to acquire more and more and more. Neither saith he, for whom do I labor and bereave my soul of good. This is also vanity and vexation of spirit. He's wanting more and more. So and once in, verse, in one verse, you've got a hard worker on one side and a lazy man on the other. In another verse, you've got a man with a lot of stuff, but no one to enjoy it or let him retire. What's the answer to all this when it comes to possessions and owning things and working hard and prosperity? The answer is twofold. The answer is balance and contentment. Balance and contentment. Can you have things? Yes, you do have things. Can you have nice things? Yes, you can. But isn't it better to have less with peace than to have more with war? What's better? I'd rather have less and have peace in my house and peace in my heart 
than to be reaching after everything that I want and coveting after this stuff and going after it to grab it and having all-out war with other people. Yeah, so balance is important. Contentment where you are is important. That's the way to live. So when it comes to life being difficult, boy, let's try to live a balanced life. Not a life of, I'm working you know, 23 hours a day so I can get that extra car, so I can get that extra this, so I can have the extra this, and, and I just, you know, I'm reaching out. You're going to live a life where you're reaching with both hands, but you got no peace within. You need balance. There's got to be family time. There's got to be God time. There's got to be more than just reaching after the possessions. And there's got to be contentment, being okay with the lot in life that you have. So problems with persecution there, how do we respond to that? Problems with, uh, with possessions. We have to have balance and contentment, but also problems, verses 9 through 12, with peers. With peers. Look what it says here. There are uh, two are better than one because they have a good reward for their labor. Now, before I read the rest of these, the, the, the problem addressed in these verses is really loneliness. That, that's the problem that we see. Would you write this in? Sometimes it is the absence of people in your life that's causing problems. It's the absence of people that can bring, uh, that can make life difficult. Before, in verse 1, there was nobody to comfort them. They, They felt alone in the world. And notice the solitary mentions here. Two are better than one because they have a good reward for their labor. In other words, you can get more done with two people. You had the job, you want to paint your house, guess what? You have another person there with you, you're going to get the job done a lot faster. Verse 10, for if they fall, the one will lift up his fellow. But woe to him that that is alone when he falleth, for he hath not another to help him up. You remember that old ad, I've fallen and I can't get up. What was it for, uh, it wasn't life alert, was it life alert? Life alert, something. You know, and, uh, and it was a sad, sad advertisement, you know, so to think someone had fallen and can't get up. But when, that's what it, the verse is kind of talking about here. You fall and there's no one there to help you back up. There, this is a, a great verse, though, for those going through besetting sins. Would you write that in? Besetting sins. Sins that they struggle with. And if you fall and no one knows, no one's there to lift you up. No one's there to help you. That's why accountability is so important. That's why having the help of other people is one of the biggest ways of recovery from a besetting sin that people are dealing with. You have to have a companion when you fall. You have to have someone there to lift you back up and keep you accountable. Verse number 11. Again, if two lie together, then they have heat. But how can one be warm alone? And if one prevail against him, two shall withstand him. So if one guy fights me and beats me, but then I bring my buddy... We are strong enough to beat him. And then it says, in a three-fourth cold is not quickly broken. And how much better it would be if I had three guys with me, you know? Now we're all strong, right? Now we can overcome that one guy. So uh, it, it, the more the merrier here. I watched a, uh, a tug of war between four of the world's strongest men. And uh, Brian Shaw and some other guys, these huge guys that have won the world's strongest man competition. Big, big men, like mountainous men. And, uh, and they went to Scotland. They were doing all these different tests to, of strength and uh, just beating all these records across the world with their, with their inhuman strength of these four guys from America, one from England. And uh, so they went to Scotland. They had a tug-of-war contest with a professional team. Yes, they have professional tug-of-war contests overseas, I guess. 
And uh, so they got the four big old guys on one end, and they put, there was a team of eight, but they put four guys on the other end. And they said, go. And the strongest men from America just kind of walked backwards and pulled the guys across the line. No problem. These guys were falling down. It was hilarious. So they said, all right, now let's do it with five. They got five people on. And so it was five guys versus the four Americans, uh, the three Americans, one Englishman. And uh, they were pulling, and, and again, they just whipped them. A little bit harder, but they whipped them. They got six guys, six grown men on the other side, adding, imagine adding 200 pounds every time, basically. And so now they got six guys, and they're fighting and pulling and tugging, and the strongest men in the world get them across. But that seventh man got them. When this man number seven got on the other side, they lost the strongest men. Of course, they've been tugging for a long time. But uh, it, it just shows that the more people there, the stronger it was. Now, what I want to say about this when it comes to peers or when it comes to the absence of peers and people in your life is, look, you know, Solomon's saying life is hard for people where he is because of persecution. Life is hard for people because everybody's envying what everybody else has. Life is hard for people because some people are just alone. But here's the thought. You don't ever have to be alone. You don't ever have to be alone because God gave us two things that Solomon did not have. Number one, he gave us the church. The local church was not there for Solomon's day. They had the temple, they had religious rites, but Jesus started the church so that we could have a family at all times. And no one has to be alone because we've got a family. That's one thing God gave us, but we have another thing that Solomon didn't have. We have the Holy Spirit of God inside of us. So we are never alone. When Jesus returned to heaven, he sent the comforter so that those who trusted in Christ would have God living inside of them. Never alone. Never alone. So when it comes to, hey, you know, life is difficult for me because, you know, of how alone I feel. I don't feel like anybody understands me, whatever it may be. And you could be in a group of people and still feel alone. But God says, I gave you a church and I gave you the Holy Spirit. You never have to be alone. And God understands you better than you understand you. The last problem he sees that makes life hard here, if you'll write it in, is popularity. This is so interesting to me, these verses. I had to look at them so many times to say, what is this talking about? I want to read them all together and then briefly just kind of highlight them. Verses 13 through 16. Better is a poor and a wise child than an old and foolish king who will be no more admonished. Again, that's another proverb he's getting, giving there. For out of prison he cometh to reign, whereas also he that is born in his kingdom becometh poor. I considered all the living which walk under the sun with the second child that shall stand up in his stead. There is no end of all the people, even of all that have been before them. They also that come after shall not rejoice in him. Surely this is also vanity and vexation of spirit. That took me a long time to figure out what that meant. But I think it's very interesting what he's kind of talking about here. And if you'll allow me just to go quickly back through that again. It says there in verse uh, uh, number, number 13, better is a poor and a wise child, he's poor but he's wise, than an old and foolish king who, ha who will no more be admonished. So you've got an old king who's foolish, he won't listen to reason. Better than that is a child 
who is poor, but yet he's willing to learn. Verse, verse 14, for out of prison he cometh to reign. Well, who's he? The poor young man comes out of prison to become king. Whereas also he that is born in his kingdom becometh poor. So he's coming out of the, his own kingdom, out of poverty and prison, to be the king. Okay, verse 15. I considered all the living which walk under the sun with the second child that shall stand up in his stead. So he's basically saying that everyone's rallying around the young man. They, they were with him. They were with the second child. Uh, they, they were rallying around the young man that was coming out of prison. They have an old king who is uh, not wanting to learn, not wanting to listen. And now they have this young newcomer coming up. And they're saying, hey, he came from our kingdom. He was poor. And we're with this guy. We're with the new politician. All right? And then it says, and uh, so he's winning the popularity vote. And then in verse 15, uh, uh, or verse 16, there is no end of all the people even of all that have been before them. So he's saying there he was made king of a lot of people. There was no end of all the people. He, he's made king of all, them, all these people, even of all them that have been before them. There was no end to all the people that stood before him. Big, large crowd. But he wins the popularity vote. He becomes king. But, let's finish the story, they also that come after shall not rejoice in him. So here's this young man that comes from poverty in the kingdom, out of prison, becomes the king, wins the popularity vote. He's got a ton of people following him. A ton of people are his fans. But the next people that are coming to the kingdom, they don't even like this guy. What's it saying there? His popularity died out. Popularity is so fickle. Have you ever noticed like, who the biggest actors are? Like one year it's this person, they're in like all the movie billboards you see, it's this actor, this actress. And then, you know, they're the world's most famous actor, world's, they're the highest paid actor, highest paid actress. And then the next year it's somebody else. And the person that was super famous last year, man, they'll be in a few more movies and then they're like making B movies, you know. Well, what happened? People got tired of seeing them. I don't usually talk about celebrities, but it seemed like for a couple years, The Rock was in everything. Everything. I think that was him. Did you hear that door close? He's, he heard me talking about him. He's here. I need three people, for the Bible says. Three people. But, um, but, but what I'm saying is, after a few years, he won't be there anymore. He'll be old. His muscles will be from here to, to here, you know? Uh, if he doesn't, or maybe he won't stop taking the steroids. I don't know, but what I'm saying is, we go through these seasons. There was a time when Frank Sinatra was like the most popular person ever. Elvis Presley, most popular. And then after a few years, people were like, nah, it's the Beatles now. Ah, oh, it's, it's, it's this now. Oh, it's this person now. Popularity is not what it's cracked up to be. These people that do anything online to get follows and likes. In a few years, no one's going to even remember them. Remember Octomom? Who remembers Octomom? I mean, it was on the news all the time. Octomom, delivering eight octopuses. Uh, no, eight babies. Eight babies. And, you know, it was all over there. And she wanted that attention. And then, like, have you heard from Octomom? I haven't heard from Octomom in, like, ten years. I don't know where the kids are, even. I don't know if she knows where the kids are, you know. No idea. The point is, seeking popularity 
And seeking the world's approval is not the way to happiness. People are so fickle. And he says there that it's vexatious spirit. It's grasping at the wind. So here's the last thought here. Stop caring so much what people think of you. And care what God thinks about you. Did you guys get the answer right down there? All right. Stop, stop caring what people think about you so much. And care what God thinks. If you're trying to please all the people, you'll never do it. I promise you that, that uh, you know, if I tried to preach the best message I've ever preached, somebody in here wouldn't like it. You'd be like, eh, it was all right, but I've seen better. You, you can't preach to please. I don't preach to please anybody except for him. Every time before I leave my office to come out here, you know what I'm praying? God, help me not to get in that trap again where I'm trying to preach to please people. I want to preach to please you and you only. And if no one else likes it but you, then I'm happy. And I'm praying that as I'm walking out to church tonight even because I want to do things that God that honor God, that he finds acceptable, that he looks at and says, I like it, even if nobody else does. Because why? Because if I'm just trying to be popular, I'm going to compromise my convictions because I'm going to have to do something that I don't want to do to be popular. Remember in high school, you see the people that wanted to be popular, they do all the dumb things just so somebody would think they're cool. And the adults are just as bad. So tonight as we close, I don't know if you're facing, and we're early tonight, look at that. I don't know if you're facing persecution, but if you are and you're facing, how are you responding to it? Could we have a little bit more backbone in our witness for Christ? Are you living a life of balance and contentment, or are you trying to reach after things? If you're doing that, you're making your life difficult. Are you feeling alone? Well, I want to remind you that God is with you. Be faithful to church. That's a good answer, just being around God's people. It makes life a little bit easier. And the last blank there, seek God's approval, not the world's. Seek God's approval. So Solomon's saying, hey, you know, I'm looking at all these people and life looks difficult. Why? Because of persecution, because of possessions and envy. Because I feel alone at times. People feel alone because of popularity. So just some thoughts I hope to, 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 to give to there. I tried to give some answers to those things as well. I just think this book is so fascinating and it's so applicable to our lives today. And I hope that something, something stuck out to you that you can latch on to and take with you and to make some decisions about as you leave tonight. Father, thank you for the word of God. Thank you for uh, Solomon and, and, this, and the wisdom that he had and the scriptures that he wrote here and, uh, and even the struggles that he went through because his struggles are giving